0: you would, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 13, the book of Acts, chapter 13, we've been working through Acts, I think, since last April, maybe May, and we're about halfway through, things are going to speed up, things are going to speed up, I'm in no rush though, we'll begin reading chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny and a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down the Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue to the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord, word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Pray with me. God, as, as we were praying earlier before the service, God, I really don't care what happens tonight as far as um, organization. I, I don't care if, if the band is terrible, if there's distractions. I, I, I don't um, care if, if, if my words are muddled, if I bomb. I, I don't care about that, Lord, as long as we get to hear from you. That is why we are here. We're not here to put on a show. We're not here to put on the perfect worship service. We're here because we want to meet with you and we want to worship you, Jesus. And so through the power of your Spirit, I pray that He would come, He would descend in this place and He would open up calloused hearts, hardened hearts, closed minds. And that through this proclamation of your Word, we we would hear Jesus and we would meet and encounter Jesus and be changed by Him. That's our desire. However you want to do that. So now in this moment, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. A, A major shift happens here in Acts 13 in the text we just read. Um, but it's, it's so subtle that you can miss it. Yet it's, it's a really big shift throughout this book of Acts. It's certainly there. It's, it's hugely important. Um, this shift happens in 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. So, did did you get it? Did you get the shift there? Did you get the uh, the big event that happened there? Um, it's not that Paul is going by Paul now and no longer Saul. A lot of people think that he changed his name at conversion. He really didn't. Paul was just his Roman name, and now that he's ministering to a Gentile world, he's going by his Roman name, Paul. Uh, that's not the shift here. That What's happening here is up to this point, Barnabas has been the leader. When the Jerusalem church wanted to know what was going on in Antioch, they sent Barnabas. Barnabas quickly became the leader of that church. Notice in the list of teachers and prophets that we just read at the beginning of the chapter, Barnabas is the one who's listed first. Saul is listed last. Um, Up to this point, every time you have Barnabas and Saul mentioned together, Barnabas is always mentioned first. It's always Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And so uh, in chapter 11, verse 30, the elders sent out Barnabas and Saul. 1225, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. 132, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. 137, the proconsul summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God from them. So Barnabas is always listed first. But here, at verse 13, there's this shift in which it says, Paul and his companions set sail. His companion Barnabas is not even listed here. He just kind of, fades into the background. He's not even mentioned. He's, he's now just a nameless companion. And then later, when the two of them are mentioned together, when you get to verse 46, the order is now reversed. And it will be from this point on, with just two exceptions, it's always going to now be Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. In which Barnabas, or Paul becomes the leader and Barnabas takes the back burner. And I think that's how Barnabas wanted it. I think Barnabas... He became to Paul um, what John the Baptist was to Jesus. You know when John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease? uh, You have Barnabas saying the same thing when he saw the giftedness and the calling of Paul. He's saying, He must increase, and I need to fade into the background. But the reality is, without Barnabas, we don't really get the Apostle Paul that we we know and that we love. We wouldn't get those 13 letters to the New Testament. Without Barnabas, there also would not have been a Gospel of Mark, um, because Barnabas came alongside John Mark and encouraged him when nobody else would, and later takes him on a missionary journey. And so as I began to study this text, I began to realize how important and how rare Barnabases are. Um... And how we need people like Barnabas in our church. Um, And so I want us to take a look at the life of Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. Um, And we're going to limit it to Acts, and and it's just going to be kind of snapshots of of his life in the book of Acts. Um, The reason we're doing this is Hebrews 13, 7 says this. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. So it's good for us to, uh, to pull out certain leaders and to try and imitate their faith and learn from their example. And so that's what we're going to do here. Um, this is one of the reasons I love biographies so much. Um, I, I can just dig into biographies. And I actually love the biographies of certain theologians more than I like actually reading the theologians' works. Um, for instance, I, I love St. Augustine. I love reading, as he describes, Sovereign Joy but I actually love reading biographies about him more. I actually see sovereign joy at display more than when I read the works of Augustine. Or it would be similar to Martin Luther. I benefit when I read Martin Luther, and I love um, as he preaches about sovereignty, and he preaches about grace, and those things resonate with me, but I actually learn more when I just read a biography about him, and I see those things at work in his life. Um, Whenever I... I see those things on display before me. I want to imitate those things. Uh, Imitation is a great teaching tool. The other day, uh, one of the fun things about being a parent is you get to eavesdrop on your kids. Uh, And and I'm going by Natalie and George's room, and they're playing. And it's just so fun to kind of, you know, put your ear up to the door and just listen to your kids play. And uh, so they're in there, and they're pretending to be parents. Um, Natalie and Georgia are, um, to their baby dolls. And so they've, they always do this. They set up their whole baby dolls and have their little baby doll family, and they're the parents to it. And I'm listening to the conversation. The conversation goes something like this. Uh, Brenda. All right. Brenda's one of the names of, of the kids. Uh, all right. Brenda, it is time to eat. Will you come here right now? No, put the toy down. Come right now. Obey me right now. Here's your dinner. Brenda, quit complaining and eat. Brenda, you get what you get and you don't get upset. I wonder where they heard that. Chuck, that's the other child there. Chuck has a lot of hair. Chuck, quit that. Stop. Chuck, it's been a long day and I am just tired and I need you to work with me. Please, please, just can you just help me out a little? Right, and so I hear this going on. And what they're doing is they're imitating my wife. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're imitating both of us. Um, because that's a powerful way of learning. Now, far more than me ever just teaching them things, when they see it, when they see it displayed in front of them, they, they want to become like that. And I've heard them imitate other good things as well. Um, but adults, we do the same thing. If, if we see something displayed before us, we want to imitate it. And so when we have an example of something good, something really good, I, I want to put that on display before you. Like Barnabas is a great example, and I want you to, to imitate this. Imitate this. Go in, go in your Bibles back a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 11, verse 22 as we consider the outcome of Barnabas' life and we try to imitate him. 11.22 The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I, as I was preaching in that funeral yesterday, I was thinking, you know what? I would love for that to be said of me at the end of my life. I'd love for that to be on my tombstone. Joel Brooks, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Uh, I, I think Luke... Um, Luke puts that for us. It's almost a parenthetical note that he kind of puts out there. It's like when he mentions Barnabas, he he wants you to know, now Barnabas, Barnabas, he's a good man, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Look at him. It's his way of just saying, you need to study the life of Barnabas. If you want to know what it means to be a good person and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, look at him. And so I want to point out just five things about the life of Barnabas so that we might consider the outcome of his life and imitate his faith. So we're going to look at five things, five evidences, if you will, that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. First is this, and we just read it. Barnabas rejoiced when he saw grace in the life of others. He rejoiced in the grace of God at work in others. You see this in verse 23 when it says, when he came and saw the grace of God, He was glad. To put that into context, when when Peter came and saw the grace of God, it says that he was amazed and he was a little confused. doesn't say that he rejoiced. doesn't say he was glad. When the church at Jerusalem saw what happened at Antioch and saw the grace given to there, they were also pretty confused and they sent Barnabas to go check out what was going on there. And then they decided, well, we need to have a conference, see if God's allowed to do what God just did. But then... You get Barnabas, and he sees it, and he's just glad. When he sees grace, it ignites something in him, and he's like, yes. He rejoices in that. He would rejoice when he saw even the slightest embers of grace at work in people's lives. That's the the difference between me and Barnabas, because I would walk into the church of Antioch and be like, whoa, wow, okay. That's great. God's working. All right, we've we got to iron out a doctrinal statement before this thing gets out of hand, all right? So we, we, need, to, we need to work on that because what you're doing there, wrong. It's wrong. You'll learn, um, hey, you're still bringing your concubines into church. we got to stop that. Um, I, I mean, I would just start pointing out all these things about this imperfect new church. And Barnabas comes in and he sees it. He's like, the grace of God is here. I'm glad. He rejoices. I need a little more Barnabas in me. Barnabas's first reaction was not, man, these guys have a lot to learn. His first reaction was just simple delight. And this is the work of the gospel in his heart. Um, and you see this. Those who truly come to understand grace... Those who've been changed by grace, those who truly understand the work of Christ on the cross and that that grace has been lavished onto us, those who have experienced that are quick to recognize that in others. They, they just kind of zero in like a, like a tractor beam you know, into those when they see that grace in the life of others. They go right to it. I realize I just used a Star Trek reference um, in that tractor beam. You know, right? For those of you who don't know, aren't truckies. I mean, the the church of Jerusalem, they send Barnabas out there probably because they know these things in him. He's going to be an encouragement, and he's going to love to see those embers of grace at work. We need people like this, people who don't first see someone's problems, doesn't first see their sins, somebody who first doesn't see their faults, but somebody who like looks right in there like, oh, there's an ember of grace and delights in it second thing we see from this good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith goes along with the first. And that's that Barnabas not only rejoiced in seeing the grace of God at work, but he would then flame those embers of grace into flame. Um, Another way of saying that is he helped people reach their potential in Christ. And you see this over and over in his life. Do you know what Barnabas' nickname was? Um, Trick question, Barnabas is his nickname, Uh, his real name, we know from Acts chapter 4, his real name is Joseph, and when he's introduced, he's introduced as Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, man, I wonder what my nickname would be, you know. When the apostles saw him, they're like, that's who he, uh, Joseph, right, I know you were born with that name, I know you were given with that name, but you're Barnabas, you are the son of encouragement. He would come alongside people, he would encourage them to reach their potential in Christ, and we see this over and over again. Look again at Acts chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, when it says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So Barnabas is in Antioch, and things are just exploding. Things are just growing, I mean, right when he gets there. And the first thing he thinks of is, you know what? i got to get Saul, because As I look at the need here, and I see all the Gentiles here, and I see this, it's a perfect match for Saul. And so the first thing he does after he gets that, and he's like, I'm glad. I see grace. I got to go get Saul. And he goes and he gets Saul, and he says, I just found the perfect place where you could get plugged into ministry. Where you can grow in your giftedness, and these people can benefit from your giftedness. And so he pulls them together. It's the first thing he does. You get this feeling that Barnabas was the kind of guy who would lay awake at night just thinking of how he could match people with different ministries, how, how, how he could get people to, uh, to grow in their giftedness. I think that's what really delighted him. And we need that in this church people who stay awake at night thinking, how can I encourage somebody else to really grow in grace? This can be risky. Earlier in Acts, right after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, to Damascus, nobody wanted to get near the man. I mean, he was, you know, arch-villain of Christianity. He goes around killing Christians. And so people were really suspicious. They're like, no, there's no way I'm getting near him. That's just, uh, that's just some scheme he's doing to infiltrate the church and to kill people. And so the disciples would not have anything to do with Paul after his conversion. Thankfully, there is Barnabas. Let me read to you from Acts 9. It says, And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Barnabas takes this risk and goes to him and says, I see, I see those embers of grace. I want to fan it to flame. And he takes a risk and he takes Paul and he takes him to the apostles and he says, I'll vouch for him. And right after that it says, Paul went out through Jerusalem and he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He helped people reach their potential in Christ. I think another way you could say this is that Barnabas blessed people. He blessed people. Not in the sense of, um, you know, when you go through Walmart, or you're going to the bank and you're told to have a blessed day. Um, That's not a blessing. I'm talking about what we looked at when we were going through Genesis. um, A couple years back, I guess. A blessing, that the most common blessing that you would see in Genesis, is when a father would lay hands on their child and look them in the eyes and with deep love and affection would affirm God's calling for their life. That was a blessing. My old preaching professor blessed me one time. Um, it, It was years four or five years at least that I'd already graduated from seminary, already was in ministry. And my old preaching professor called me up at about two in the morning and said, Brother Brooks, don't you ever call me Brother Brooks, by the way. Um, Brother Brooks, uh, you need to come to my office right now. I need to talk to you right now. Like, oh, oh. Okay, and so I go there um, as fast as I can get there and he has me sit down across from him and he's just totally silent. Closes his eyes for about, I'm thinking, 10 minutes. It's awkward. I mean, there's no way around. It's awkward. I'm thinking, I'm actually going through any sin that he might possibly know or something that I've done. What am I about to get busted on? And I'm just going through, what, what in the world is it? And I'm getting scared. And I'm like, but I don't think I've done anything, but I'm I'm scared. And then tears start rolling down his his cheek. And he looks at me. And with the deepest love and affection, he affirmed God's calling in my life in a way that I have never been affirmed before. Absolutely changed me. It, It was a blessing. You know what he could have done? He could have ripped me to shreds. He could have had me said, Joel, I've heard some things about what you're doing. You're doing this wrong. You've made these mistakes. You've messed up these people's lives. And he would have been absolutely right. He could have pulled out all of my faults, all of my mistakes, all of my sins, and he could have just blasted me. He certainly could have criticized my preaching. He, he, he could have done that, but instead he didn't do any of that. He looked at me with deep love and affection. He affirmed, he said, this is God's calling on your life. That's a blessing. Have you ever been blessed like that? Or blessed someone like that? Or are you just really quick to point out the faults? I mean, can you imagine, you know, the kids here at Cornerstone, if you're tutoring one of these kids at Cornerstone, and and, and you took the time to get to know that child, and then at one point you just looked at them Maybe put your hand on their shoulder and look them in the eye, and with deep love and affection, you affirmed God's calling on their life. Can you imagine the difference that might make in their life? Or if you did that with your spouse or your children? Or if you did that with somebody else in this room? What an encouragement. We need more Barnabases. Barnabas helped Paul become the Apostle Paul who changed the world. Third, third thing I want to point out about the life of Barnabas, or I guess I could say the third evidence that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, was that he was patient with the failure of others. Pretty much I'm describing in this the opposite of me, just so you know. It was, it was actually a fairly easy sermon to write. I, just, I know who I am, and I wrote the opposite here. Uh, he, he was patient with the failure of others, um, we're going to see a couple chapters from now in Acts 15, how Paul and Barnabas get, actually get in a heated argument. Scripture says it was a sharp dispute. And we know Christians aren't supposed to have sharp disputes. We just have um, lively discussions. But, but, but they had a sharp dispute. And it was over this. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them on their next missionary journey. And Paul says, No. Absolutely not, because because John Mark abandoned us last time. John Mark made a huge mistake. He failed us last time. Absolutely no. And Barnabas kept saying, come on, give him a second chance. We can go. He's a better, he deserves a second chance. Let's take him. I see those embers of grace in there. And Paul said, no, absolutely not. And it got so heated that Paul just chose a man named Silas, and he went off without Barnabas. And Barnabas took John Mark and they went on another missionary journey. Barnabas was so patient with that failure, and it was a real failure of John Mark. And the result is we see John Mark restored. We see later him and Paul's relationship restored. Paul actually partners with him again in ministry. John Mark goes on to write the book of or the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if I would have had that patience. Fourth thing I want to point out about the life of Barnabas was Barnabas' generosity. Go all the way back to Acts chapter 4 where we first meet Barnabas. Acts 4 verse 34. There was not a needy person among them So the first snapshot that we have of Barnabas is one who sold his property. He was so generous, he sold his property, and he gave all the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet so that they might give it to the poor. Money had absolutely zero hold on Barnabas. When the church of Antioch wanted to send money to Jerusalem, there was a famine in Jerusalem. The Christians there were suffering. They were dying, and they they needed relief. So the church of Antioch took an offering, and they said, we need to send it there. Who can we trust? Let's send it with Barnabas. Why? Because we can trust Barnabas with money. Later on, we know from Paul's letters that um, when churches... uh, They're really skeptical about paying their teachers or paying their preachers because there were many charlatans around. Barnabas said, okay, just don't pay me anything. I'll just work on my own for money. Don't don't ever give me a thing. Money money had no hold on this man. Finally, we have to move on. Barnabas lived, and this is going to be kind of hard to describe. This might actually be two or three points into one here. We'll see how it goes. Barnabas lived what I would call a sent life. A sent life. If you remember after Stephen was killed, um, all the disciples fled the city of Jerusalem because of the ongoing persecution that hit. It says that they, they all scattered about. Um, you, you can read that in Acts 8:1. It says that they all fled. Everyone except for the apostles. Because the apostles didn't fear anyone. The apostles are like, we're staying in Jerusalem while everybody else fled. But then we actually find out later that Barnabas had stayed in Jerusalem as well. And, and I don't know if you know, he was just so closely associated with the apostles that he was kind of like a quasi-apostle or just that he was kind of grouped in with them when it says that only the apostles remained But but we know that Barnabas actually remained in Jerusalem because he wasn't scared to go. The reason he left Jerusalem was because the apostles got him together and they sent him to go check out Antioch. Jerusalem was his hometown. It's where his family was. It's where his friends were. And they said, but we want you to go and check out what God is doing in Antioch. And so they sent him out and Barnabas never came back. He never comes back to live. Now, once he was in Antioch, he certainly could have stayed there. I mean, God's growing this amazing church. He, he, he's the lead pastor there, you know, one of the, the main teachers, the one who's listed first. Um, he could have feathered his own nest, uh, kind of become that, that powerful preacher in the fastest growing church in the world. Pretty nice title to have. Something good to put on your resume right there. He could have had all of that. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit through that time of worship and fasting, he was sent. And he left that too. And you you can see that aspect of sentness all throughout Barnabas' life. Related to that, there's also that... uh, You can see this emptying of himself, I guess, or this humility and this emptying of himself throughout his whole life as well. You know, first thing he does, he sells all of his possessions. He empties his, or not all of his possessions, but he empties himself of that land that he owned, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Then he leaves his hometown where his friends and his family are, and then he goes to Antioch. When he's at Antioch, he he leaves the respect and the power and the prestige of being pastor of the largest growing church, you know, in in the land to go on the mission field with Paul. And then when he's with Paul, he, he empties himself even further because he sees that giftedness in Paul and he says, no longer really am I going to be the leader, but you're going to be the leader. And he takes this lesser role so that Paul could start leading them. And so, I mean, even later when he has a chance to go on a missionary journey with the great apostle Paul, he gives that up to stick with a failure. He's he's constantly emptying himself over and over. He just empties himself, empties himself. And I think the result of that is that because he emptied himself, he was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. Someone um, asked me, not long ago, because I mentioned a while ago I was going to do a study on Barnabas. And they said, why don't we ever hear biographies, read biographies from people like Barnabas? Maybe some missionaries like Barnabas or preachers like Barnabas. And I said, well, you're certainly never going to get an autobiography because people like that don't write about themselves. And also people like that aren't noticed. They're not the ones that you initially think, man, I need to write a biography about that person. You know, because they're not the huge pastor of, of the fastest growing church. They're, they're, they're not, they don't have all that respect, all that prestige. They're always the ones under the scenes lifting up those people so they can reach their potential in Christ. When I look at Barnabas, I see the gospel on display. I don't so much praise Barnabas, I praise the Savior's work in Barnabas that's now on display because it reminds me also of Jesus who was equal with God and He decided not to hold on to it. But He made Himself a human. It reminds me of He who was rich but He became poor for us. When I look at Barnabas, I see Jesus more clearly. That enables me to worship Him more dearly. It gives me a picture of what it means to be a good person full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And I long to see more of that here in our midst. Pray with me. God, I thank You for servants like Barnabas who certainly was not perfect. But God, we could just see your grace on such beautiful display in his life. And he is a good person for us to look at and to try and imitate. Lord, this was a terribly convicting sermon for me to study because I am the mirror image of this man who I just preached. I I do not proclaim this message because I've got it all under control and i'm speaking from experience god i'm quick to criticize i'm quick to point out the failure in others i don't really see the potential of christ and people not like barnabas so god i pray for me and for all of us here that we would experience your mercy and your grace that you would just show us how much we have received and then we would just delight in that in others. Raise up in our midst people like Barnabas. People like Jesus. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and our Savior. Amen.